I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton. As the premier independent bookstore in the Hamptons, Bookhampton has a highly curated selection of books for readers of all ages, unique one-of-a-kind gifts, and exciting author events. Browse their fabulous staff suggestions online at bookhampton.com. I'm really excited to be here today with Sarah McCall, the author of Joy Enough. Sarah was the founding editor of Yahoo Food. She has an MFA from Sarah Lawrence and was a McDowell Fellow. She was also nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Sarah's work has been published in House Beautiful, Bon Appetit, The Paris Review, McSweeney's, ModernLoss.com, and other publications. She currently lives in Los Angeles. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. I like just finished your book, as I was telling you, and I have a million things to ask you, and I'm so excited that you're here. So thanks so much for coming. You're my first interview. So really? Yes, so I'm very excited, too. I'm very gentle. I'll be very kind. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were a good way to start. Uh, <laughs> so can you start by just telling listeners what Joy Enough is about? Yeah, I felt growing up like I was compared to my mom a lot. Probably this is a common experience for girls, but people, whether they were family members or my mom's friends, would say, you're just like your mother, you know, or you look just like your mother. And I had this curiosity about, well, what does that mean? Like, who is my mother? So on one hand, it's kind of about the desire to figure out who my mother is outside her role as my mother. You know, who is my mother as a person? Who is my mother as a woman, as a friend to her friends? And so I was always asking her growing up, you know, um, what were you like when you were my age, when I was in elementary school and when I was in high school and when I was in college? But the answers were sort of unsatisfying. And when I write, I think there is usually some sort of thing I want to know. I'm There's like a quest of discovery to it. So I think I just wanted to find out, well, who is my mother? Who was she? And as a result, you know, what does that mean about who I am and, and how are we different as, as women and as people? So that, that's part of what it's about. It's also about her, you know, getting cancer when I was in my early 30s and really that being an opportunity for us to talk about kind of the big things in life because that was always very much our relationship was, you know, getting to the meat of it. She wasn't like a small talk person. So cooking for her and spending time with her at her house and just trying to figure out, well, what does life mean and what does our relationship mean? And yeah. it's awesome. And you also went through a, a divorce around the same time. And yeah. It was sort of you, you're almost coming of age Yes, as yes, a, yeah, it's it's divorce, it's my divorce, it's her divorce, mm-hmm. it's love, it's men, it's sex, but really at the core of it, I think, is our story and a relationship between a mother and a daughter and, and two women, and it, it's so lovely to put that at the center also because, you know, we're so used to seeing romantic tales as Mm -hmm. kind of the central narrative of a woman's life. And this is a love story in a way. I mean, I really loved my mother and our relationship was very intimate, but it is between women. So, so it felt, that felt good. I didn't mean to suggest it was really about the Oh no, not at all. I I know it's really about your mom. And that was amazing. It's just adding that but I'll it's let you an do the talking. <laughs> it's an important detail. I mean, just because a lot of the time, I feel like the threads of your own life were going through. Yeah. I mean, how can they not? But right. Well, anyway, so I found your writing style to be 
absolutely amazing. I kept, so <laughs> I have your book here. I kept like dog-earing pages and I, being like, oh, that was such a beautiful expression. And I would stop and like reread it. The writing, I don't know how you mastered I'm going to read a few examples. So, Thank um, you so much. So when you were talking about your mom's family, as a description, this just like sums everything up. You wrote, her father shook the ice in his bourbon and gingers while he told jokes at a dinner table tight with seven plates of spaghetti. I mean, you're like right there. You're like, and you can tell, you don't have to tell how many siblings, like everything. Then you were on a walk and you said, there were no cars on the road and the hem of my skirt fluttered at my knees in the humid breeze, the sound of fireworks in the distance. Here, fireflies. I wanted to tie myself up in his arms and he wanted to be the rope. I mean, thank amazing. you. These thank are like, you. when you're in the car later, you wrote, we spent the rest of the summer, this is about your mom, we spent the rest of the summer driving the long way places. And when we arrived, sat in parking spaces with our seatbelts on. Yeah. I love talking in the car. Oh. It's like, <laughs> those are the best conversations. Totally. Yeah. But like, you just, you didn't have to, there's so much you didn't have to say. Yeah. I'm not explaining this very well, but. No, you are. I mean. It's like what you're leaving out, but the. The words you're choosing and the visuals say more than it was. It was a warm summer day, and we took right. a lot of car rides. When we were on right. our way to the doctor, and da da da, we would often stop. Like I feel like that's right, how I would right. say it. Like, you know, I, f- I often found myself da da da, and you're just like boom in it. And your last one that I wanted to read, which really, I, I don't know, it was like almost like sexual in the sense. When you're on an airplane, you said, I fished my fingers inside the slit of the shiny pouch and looked down at brown Colorado, rugged as a cowboy's calloused hand. That was about opening a bag of peanuts. I never it, thought about it before, but it is kind of right? sexual. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yikes. I'll never open a bag of pretzels the same way again. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> So I, about your writing itself, did you learn to write like this? Is it, has this always been your style? I know you've gotten an MFA and all of that, but tell me about that more. Well, I no, I mean, the short answer is no. I don't think I always wrote like this per se, but I've always loved poetry. I think back, like one of the most formative writing experiences for me in my life was 7.30 English class with Catherine Lent, shout out to Catherine Lent at 100 in Central High School. I remember she read us this Marie Howe poem. Have, have you read any Marie Howe? She's wonderful. And she's actually the reason I first went to Sarah Lawrence, even though I'm not a poet and she's a poet. But I just thought, well, I want to be at whatever school she's at. But it was this poem about, it's called What the Living Do. And I just like had tears in my eyes at 7.30 in the morning and I think I've just always loved poetry. So I started writing poetry. I've always read a lot of poetry. And that image sort of like Carl Jung database of like you you say an image and it's so resonant. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knows what it feels like to click the seatbelt in and be yeah. in the car beside someone. So if I say that, you know, I don't have to go on and on and say, oh, we felt so close together side by side. It's like, you've been there, you know what it feels like. So, but I have a very visual memory as well. So I think I was trying to make the most of that, you know, because I'll remember, oh, I remember that day and -and so-and-so was wearing a red scarf and the sun was really bright. So I like writing in that very visual way. And I think you're right, it does kind of do a lot of the work for you. There's a lot I don't have to say. I mean, not to say you're like uh, shortcutting this book. And then you, <laughs> no, 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 it's brilliant. It's like, Thank it's you. it's really, it, I felt like I hadn't read anything similar since Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. I mean, like, 
I'm done. Thank you. I can walk out now. It's like like my work here is done. No, that's the best compliment in my my world. Uh, Yeah, I love her. I love her. I mean, who doesn't love her? She's great. My other question, Joy Enough as a title. Yeah. What were your other... Like top three. Did you oh have any gosh. other contenders? Yes. The, t- the title was really hard for me. I think I'm good at titles for essays. Mm-hmm. They always come really easily to me. I'm happy with them. But this was really hard because I felt like it somehow had to encapsulate everything. But how do you encapsulate everything? So there were other contenders. I really loved The Joy of Death because I thought it played on the joy of sex mm-hmm. and the joy of cooking, yep. both of which, you know, are prominent in the book. But I think from a marketing standpoint, it's like people want to read about death, but they need to be, they need, need to maybe take the back door mm-hmm. in, into mm-hmm. death. So, yeah, that was a contender. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, when I wrote it as a, the very first version, it had some, like, very long, garbled, you know, pretentious title, like, The Life and Death of Celestial Objects or something, you know, it's like, (laughs) oh my God, get a grip. So, yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. But I think I, you know, you start looking at poetry and you start looking at quotes. and, And this is from an Emily Dickinson letter. She says, the mere sense of living is joy enough. So... I think that felt like that's that's pretty much it. That that feels right. It's awesome. And I love this cover too. It's like simple yellow cover with these little dots. Anyway. Isn't it so pretty? Describing it in case anyone happens to be wandering through a bookstore right now. I, <laughs> I love it. I think they did such a great job. It's, they did. It's, I love it. It's really awesome. So your mom gives you a lot of great advice throughout the book, including about parenting itself. And at one point she says, there is no reward in the end, my mother said of parenting. The only reward ever is ongoing. It must be the day itself. Which really hit home for me with four kids because yeah. sometimes I'm like, well, I know this Saturday is really long and we're running place to place, but like, if not for this, then what? Like, right. this is what it's all about is days like today. Like, right. How do you feel like your mom's advice on parenting really hit home for you? Well, she had four kids too, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the idea that there's no award, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to get a medal, right? Yeah. It's not like, I think that, you know, I don't have kids, but... I sometimes sort of jokingly call this book my firstborn. And I think that it relates to writing and for me in the sense that, and really everything, not just parenting, but everything, writing, just like approaching day-to-day life, the pleasure, I have to find pleasure in the work, mm-hmm. right? Like this this is so amazing getting to sit here with you and I'm so excited to go to a party later mm-hmm. and celebrate the book coming out. But that is a sort of version of an award or like, you know, the award in the end. And as much as possible, I think it's so important to enjoy the doing and the process of things. We live in such a results-oriented culture and a product-oriented culture. So I think writing and is so much like life and parenting where it's like, are you in it? Are you enjoying mm-hmm. the doing? I mean, if you're not, God, like, what's the point? Why are we, why bother, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I had coffee with a girlfriend the other day, and we're both trying to write novels. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her how, like, stressed I was, and she was talking about it, and then I was like, you know, I realized the other day, like, I don't have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> 
nobody's sitting out there waiting for my book. Nobody asked me to write a book. I'm not like, yeah. you know, Michelle Obama. Like, if I don't want to do it, I don't have to do it. I'm not going to stress. It. Like, if I'm not totally. enjoying it, why am I doing this? Like, what is it for? So I feel like same thing with kids, really. I mean, it's like I chose to have kids. I'm choosing yeah. to do these things. But yeah. it still doesn't always make it, like, stress-free. But No, it's um, like it's not you're, you're not going to remember that every second of every day. But when you can remember it, it's yeah. Powerful. I have this friend who says, you literally don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And it's like, well, that's kind of not true. I mean, we have to do our taxes and stuff. But for the most part, it's pretty true. Like, yeah. you can just decide, oh, why am I doing this thing I don't want to do? You know? Yeah. I don't have to. Yeah. I'm an adult. I could just turn this podcast off. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> just get out of here. Bloody Mary or <laughs> yeah, something. Forget it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, too funny. Okay, so your mother also said about parenting, my last parenting question about your mom, which is another example of your beautiful writing. You said, introduced at a cocktail party or turning to a fellow dinner guest, she could see the boredom in their eyes when she said she was a mother. But hers was the real work, she thought, the kind that defines a civilization. Her materials were empty toilet paper rolls smeared in peanut butter, rolled in birdseed, and hung from the honeysuckle bush outside the dining room window. So beautiful. Thank you. I feel like I used to feel that same way when I was like at a dinner party and my twins were really little and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm at home. I'm a mom. They were like, ugh, okay. Now what do I have to talk about? Right, (laughs) right. But what she was saying, like, and then she went on to say even how she was like sort of anticipating her depression when her kids were going to, kids meaning you, but her kids were going to leave the nest. And she was like mourning it before it even happened, which I think is sort of one of these crazy parts about parenting, like, you know, it's ending. Well, life, mm-hmm. life too. I mean, not just parenting, like as you go through, it's like on its way to yeah. sort of ending. And I don't know. I, a friend of mine over the summer started calling it the fleetings, like mm. your sense of that. I, yes. For me, it's started happening that. in my thirties where it's like, you know, I'll be walking down the street and the leaves look a certain way and I feel happy or whatever. But all of a sudden I'm just seized by the most incredible sort of bittersweet but like pained happiness that like this moment is so great I'll never have it again and I'm gonna die someday (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not the only one no no you're not so the fleetings yeah I love that the fleetings yeah oh my gosh that's that's the best I'm gonna like think about that next time (laughs) that's amazing let's shift gears a tiny bit and talk about food because I know yeah. you're a food editor started the you know Yahoo food thing and cooking and this book was such an important piece of the book how you cooked for your mom and you were like determined that she wouldn't lose weight and yet yeah. her body was sort of fighting against retaining food at all and you said sort of how Cooking helped you. You said, cooking was a meditation, I thought. It anchored me in my body. Here was my hand, holding a knife, slicing through celery. Here I was, standing on the black and white kitchen tile of my first apartment in Brooklyn, listening to records, making dinner. Here I was, I thought, living. So I feel like you, well, tell me, you tell me, how does cooking help you? It's so embodied, you know. I feel like I I can be in my head a lot, probably as you are too. Yes. (laughs) If you have a case of the fleetings. So kids or cooking or anything that makes you feel really in your body mm-hmm. and kind of getting out of your head, I think can be so such a powerful way to return to the moment. So yeah, it's like, it's kind of like knitting maybe too, where it's like, you know, you're slicing an onion. It takes enough of your concentration that you're sort of present for it. But it is that meditative sort of like a little bit of attention so that your mind doesn't get busy, mm-hmm. but also 
a kind of placid attention. So yeah, cooking for me just like really, it's not just that it's embodied, it's so sensory too. You know, it's like the smells and the colors of, I love a farmer's market, like Mm -hmm. the French breakfast radishes and, you know, that crazy kohlrabi or whatever the things are. It's just like, it's such a feast of, of the senses and it just really helps me be present. But at the same time, I think especially working in food media, I used to kind of glorify food in this way. Like it took on an outsized kind of importance in my life, you know, as my daily life felt a little bit unsatisfying, you know, commuting and, you know, like email and whatever the daily life stuff is. Suddenly like dinner takes on this incredible importance. It's like, okay, well, today sucked or it was hard, but like I'm going to make the most incredible thing. And it's a lot of pressure, you know, and I think about women who are, you know, trying to, and not just women, but like it often ends up being the woman who is trying to like put dinner on the table five nights a week or seven nights a week after working, raising kids, whatever. It's like this extra pressure. So I kind of ended up finding a middle ground with food where it doesn't have to be such a big deal, you know, I'll make a big pot of beans and we'll have tacos, you know, it doesn't have to be a big production. And I think that was kind of finding, again, back to this idea of like being present in the moment, finding joy in the process as opposed to putting all this pressure on an end product. And do you do you miss sort of being in the food business side of things, like the food world, the food like reporting and all that? Or? I mean, I miss like comp dinners <laughs> you know? or like getting invited to to come and sample all the cocktails at some place with great pizza. But no, I mean, what I love about, I feel like I could still be in it as much as I, as I want to. And what I've always loved about food writing, like I love MFK Fisher. I love um, Amanda Hesser. I mm-hmm. love Ruth Reichel. I love all these writers. Lori Colwin, you know. So any kind of entry point to talking about what matters, like all I ever want to do is really talk about love, meaning of life, sex. That that's basically art. <laughs> it's like art, love, sex, the meaning of life. That's all I really want to talk about. So if food can be a way into those, and it often is in like the beautiful food writing, then yeah, I'm, I I miss it. I'm all for it. I want as, as much as possible in my life. Good. So after your, I keep jumping around, I'm sorry, but there's like so much I wanted to find out. So the demise of your marriage sort of dovetailed the whole timeline of your mother's illness. And then after she passes away, you go into this new phase where you're more exploratory and, you know. Catting around. Okay, catting around. (laughs) Thank you. And you wrote, pleasure became the escape hatch of my grief. I loosened the valve in me that had been turned right tight and my skin became my sail, directing me toward an island of belief. I mean, literally every time I read one of these sentences, I, I, I don't usually read this much, like this many quotes, but I'm sorry. I just have to like keep reading. Thank so you. that turn to, to pleasure and all that, did you feel like that helped? Like, can anything really help after a period of loss like this? Like, do you regret it? Are you happy about it? How do you feel about it? I think it did. This is a great question. I think it did help in the sense that I was so into all my feelings. You know, we were talking about feeling things deeply. And I was so feeling my grief and so deep in my grief that it kind of, I thought it was great to like go completely to the opposite and really feel 
you know, pleasure or excitement. You know, in the book, I, I had this friend who says, I think it's great that, like, you're dating. You know, what are you going to do? Feel the full weight of your sadness? And I was feeling the full weight of my sadness, but it also created space to, like, I think grief kind of expands you or any kind of emotional experience expands you. And so there was room, okay, to feel some good stuff too. And also I'd been married all through my 20s, you know, and I was roasting chickens when I guess other people were going out. So yeah, it was fun. I thought it was really fun. It seemed to me that actually like, oh, this is the great time to be dating when I'm a confident 30-something woman. I I don't like feel as attached to these situations or or looking for some kind of validation that it might be otherwise. So yeah, I thought it was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about things that can help. Uh, You just wrote this Modern Loss article, which was so beautiful. Thanks. And as we were just talking, Rebecca Sofer was on my podcast in the past and she was amazing too. Yes. In your article, you, first of all, you say to your mom, like you're talking about your, how you feel things so deeply. And your mom says to you, you feel things very deeply. Your highs will be higher and your your lows will be lower. And I literally like jumped back from the screen. And I read that because my mother like says the same things yeah. to me like all the time. So I was like, can't wait to talk to her. So this sort of extreme highs and lows, how do you think this experience of emotions, you know, makes you, how do you think it informs your writing in particular? Mm. And then also, how does it make you feel the grief even that much more intensely? You know? Yeah. I mean, so it's weird writing a memoir, right? I mean, <laughs> you're like, here are my guts mm-hmm. on the page, or here's my experience on the page. And I think some, uh, on the one hand, it's very exposing. But on the other hand, I think emotional experience is so universal that It's not like I feel like something is really being revealed that's so private. It actually is like, oh, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? And and that's what's so satisfying when you write about an emotional experience is having people say, oh, yeah, I get it, you know, or I've felt that, or thanks for putting into words something that I've felt. So, I mean, I feel like it's so, I I almost don't even know how to say it's how it's informed my writing because I just feel like emotion, my writing is so saturated with mm-hmm. emotion in some ways. Like even those images that you were mentioning, they're they're so saturated with emotion too. Yeah. Like my mom used to say, feeling is living to me. And I really identify with that, you know, feeling like that is the way I experience the world is. Today's a happy day and tomorrow's a sad day or whatever they may be. Um, that colors everything. So I'm kind of just along for the the ride. There's this tarot card of, you know, I think it's like the two of pentacles where there's a wave in the background and there's this ship going on the waves and this guy's juggling the two pentacles. And it's like, oh yeah, you just got to kind of go up with the ups and down with the downs and and ride those waves. So I'm up for it, I think. (laughs) And tell me a little more about the process of writing this book. How long did it take? Like, Where would Mm. you write? When did you write? I wrote from home mostly. I wrote it over three years. I was in graduate school and and I actually didn't think I was writing a book for a long time. I sort of thought I was writing essays and then I thought, oh, this is just my weird art project that will never be published. Yeah, I really was concerned <laughs> 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 that it would never be published. So yeah, it was over the course of three years and in workshop and then, you know, I kind of just 
sometimes when you really want something, like to write a book, which I think I've probably wanted to do since I was started my first diary in first grade, you almost don't want to say out loud, like, I'm writing a book, because then it might not happen, and then everyone will know you didn't do it. So I was just kind of chugging away at it, I guess. And then, but I kept sending it out, kind of, okay, I had my spreadsheet of my agents, and (laughs) they'd write back, they'd say no, and then I'd send it to the next one, you know. So, yeah, I queried agents for a year. I got like 17 passes, and then I remember the day I got an email back from my agent now, you know, she just, no reservations, kind of. She was like, I would love to represent you. And I just remember crying, like, all the way down Broadway. Like, I was teaching a class, and then I left, and I was just like, oh, my God. Because you start to feel like, am I crazy? Like, does this thing that I want so much, like, am I crazy? And then to have someone say, no, no, you're not. I believe in you. Like, let's do this. For every writer, I mean, that's just, like... Support comes in lots of different ways throughout the process, but every time you get it, it really means a lot. Because we're all so insecure, right? (laughs) I mean, I think that's a universal. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, writers in particular. for sure. (laughs) So your book is now literally about to come out. By the time this airs, it will have already come out. What's the best thing that you could imagine happening to you right now? Like, what's the best thing someone could say or do? The best response you could dream of getting? Like, what's... Is there something that you're just, you're really longing for in this sort of aftermath? I know it's about the process and that this, you know, but now that we're in the reward time. Right, right. I mean, the Joan Didion comment is pretty much the best. (laughs) Um, So that's a gold star. You know, I, I mean, I want like what anybody probably wants of their book, you know, a rave in the New York Times book review and movie option and never to have to do paid work again (laughs) that I don't want to do so that I can just spend the rest of my days living in my feeling life and writing about it. But yeah, I mean, I was thinking about what do I want out of this? And, you know, I always only ever wanted like six people to read. I was like, if just six people read my book and think it's great. Like, that'll be great. So I feel like I'm kind of, you know, I've eclipsed six, I think, at this point and gotten some good feedback. And it's so hard. This part is so hard. Writing is so private and all of this is so public. So it's just, I don't know, the great reviews are great. My family keeps saying, just enjoy it. This part is like the victory lap. You did the work that you could do. So I just keep thinking to myself, you know, I wrote the book I wrote at the time that I wrote it, and I like it, and I hope other people like it. Other people will like it. Yeah, and yeah, if I win, like, some awesome literary award, great. <laughs> you know, that'll be wonderful. I but yeah. I feel like I put you on the spot with that question. I apologize. No, no, I no. haven't actually asked that before, but I, I thought you'd have an interesting answer, which you did. But I also feel like you are helping people, not only the people going through loss of someone really close to them, but also I feel like you're helping people with their own relationships with their close family members. Mm. Like, I've gone through a lot of loss in my life too, and I always feel really connected to stories about other people's loss. Obviously, every situation is different, but some of the feelings, like when you read someone else's experience, it makes you, I don't know, you know, just in the way that 
when you're in the world and you bond with somebody. It's like the same sort of feeling. But I feel like this book also is going to be so helpful for people with all their various relationships, especially this mother-daughter relationship. Mm. So many moms and daughters have really complicated relationships. And this is a great way for people. Like, I imagine people are going to stop you and say, like, thank you for reconnecting me with my mom. Mm. Or thank you for helping me see her as a person more. Mm. Or that apologize. would be amazing. Is that sort of how I like? That's some of the things I took out of it. Like, your mom is so humanized in this book, not as a like a mom, but like who she really is. And, yeah. You know, I don't know. Well, that to me, like in terms of you know, what's the best thing that could happen? Whenever people say to me, like, God, your mom sounds cool, or like mm-hmm. your mom is so alive on the page. In some ways, that. It's like the best, I don't want to sound corny, but I am a little bit corny, so I can't help it. You know, she, like, she lives in the book. And if it becomes a shorthand for people that's like, oh, this is a way to tell my mom, I see you and I love you. Just, here's this book. I mean, that's amazing. That would be. You need to do, like, a Mother's Day push. Is that that in the marketing plan? I I, I think it is. If it's not, it will be. Okay. (laughs) I will post this on Mother's Day. Okay, awesome. Remind me if I forget. (laughs) My mom used to say that having kids is like, that we all walk around with this idea that we have some semblance of control over the universe, right? Like, oh, if I do this, I'll get this result. And that's why I've got to be on my mark all the time so that I can control the outcome. But when you have kids, it's like, oh, now I'm aware that I have absolutely no control over whatever is going to happen in life. So I think I've been thinking about that in the publication process because it's like, oh, yeah, I did the part that I had some control over, which was writing. But now I have no control over what happens from here on. And you kind of just got to, like, go with it, you know. But I think there's something really relieving and sort of, like, takes the pressure off to be like, oh, I'm putting all this pressure on myself to control outcomes that is actually an illusion. So why don't I stop pretending that I have any control over outcomes and just let it rip, you know, or let what happen happens and let the chips fall where they may. So I'm keeping that in mind. Good. <laughs> so you moved to L.A. from yes, New York. yeah. How do you like living there? Are you- I love L.A. It, I hadn't moved anywhere since I was 22. So when you move later in life, it's, it's a different experience. So that, it's a tricky transition, but now... I pretty much love it. I mean, I really was charmed by L.A. in December, like, you know, Christmas with palm trees and New Year's in the desert. Yeah, I I like it a lot. We just did that, too. Isn't it great? I was like, I've never been in, uh, you know, L.A. when it's like all the, like the Santa is like over the, you know, the It's awesome. Or like all people put on their cars those Rudolph noses on the bumper. My my kids love that. That was so funny. Okay, so you've abandoned New York, but you're here for your... Launch and so you're teaching writing out there or online or how, I teach, what do you do? Yeah, I mostly teach online, post secondary and college level teaching right now with Gotham Writers Workshop. And yeah, I love I love teaching creative nonfiction because it's just like, oh yeah, let's get to the real stuff. Like, what have you learned and let's write about it. So I love teaching. And I also loved my teachers. Like, I feel so grateful. I mean, I know I mentioned Catherine Lent at the beginning of this podcast, my sophomore English teacher, but I really feel like I lucked out with a lot of great teachers. The people who hand you the books that change your life, I mean, that is such a powerful 
relationship. You know, I saw I Capture the Castle on your on your bookshelf. It becomes this shorthand. I mean, not just, hey, mom, I see you. Here's this book, like, about a mother and a daughter. But, like, any kind of—it becomes, like, a shorthand for a way to see the world. Like, if yeah. someone says, oh, I love— Wallace Stegner, and you're like, me too, you know, it's really elemental. Yeah. Yeah. And giving someone that experience, like, that's part of why I do this podcast, really, is like, if somebody says, like, I read whatever book because you talked to the author and it made me want to read it, and then I got this amazing experience and I got to live through their world, and, like, there's, like, nothing better. No. It's not like a TV show. It's not the same. It's like, you're immersed in it because you, like, put yourself in the book. Yeah. You know, it's like you you get, I don't know. And you I'm take like, it totally, in. Like yeah. you take, you're literally like have someone else's words in, in your, your yes. body, yes. you know? So yeah, it's super powerful. And then when you get to teach teenagers, which I do in the summer, and they like are so ready to have their minds blown that when you blow their minds, it's the most satisfying experience in the world. Are there a few things that you teach your students or that you would say to aspiring authors, any tips or things that you always, you know, that they have to know or advice? Or I think read, you know, I think like I just read everything and read outside of your time too. You know, I think like when you're in the book world or aspiring to be in the book world, you can kind of, there's a tendency, I think, to focus on what are the new books coming out and what's fashionable right now. But I love going way back. You know, I was rereading Anais Nin and, you know, I love her writing. And, like, go back. Mm -hmm. Go back, read broadly, read poets. My favorite prose writers are poets. (laughs) It's not fair, but they get to do it all. And yeah, I think reading is really important. I have this author, Jamie Brenner, who's coming on the podcast soon for her. She's written several books, but she's coming back on for her, coming on for her upcoming book called Drawing Home. Anyway, she just posted on Instagram this whole section of the library of Judith Krantz novels. Do you remember oh, her from the 80s? Yes, yeah. So that was like, those were my first like grown-up fiction uh-huh. that my mother like gave me because I was like a huge reader. And she was like, you can get inspiration from anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, so true. I mean, these were like, you know, the first like, Anyway, they don't always have to be they don't, the poets no. of old. It can be anything from any era that really speaks to you and like makes you think a certain way. Or Weird whatever. stuff, you know, comic books, graphic novels, like yeah. all of it. And the reason why I think it's important is because, you know, you're asking me earlier, like, did you always write this way? And it's like, no, because every the more you read, the more you realize oh, you can do that? Like, uh, so often we'll read something and be like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. You know, people, Hmm. other writers make you aware of what's possible. And I just keep one, you know, want to invent new ways of saying the same old thing. We're all saying the same old thing about everything. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. but, But, like, we can, but our consciousness gets put on the page in new and interesting and beautiful ways. So, yeah, I just want to keep seeing those, discovering those. Wow. Well, that was amazing. And I truly adored your book and Thank your you. writing style in general. And I want you to write more books and I hope you're planning on it. Are you planning on it? I Yes, I hope I get to. Okay. That, yes, <laughs> I hope. Yes. <laughs> Do you have, did you start one or no? I have, uh, yes, yeah? I've, started, I've started something new and I'm very excited. I think it's it's a novel. A novel? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Any more? 
No, I think that's, that's all it. I can okay, say for all now. Right. <laughs> yeah, because you said you don't want to tell anyone you're writing a book. So, you know, well, we won't hold you to it. But okay. um, anyway, thank you so much thank for you so much, coming Cindy. and being here in person and, and sharing this launch week with me. It was a blast. So, thank, thank you. you. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton, bookhampton.com. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Mm-hmm.